Yeah, uh-huh, listen up Yeah, I can see you're new to this You ain't got no job You ain't got no experience You're entry level You ain't got no qualifications, baby You're entry level Your entry level, baby. Your entry level. Ooh, yeah. Entry level. Hey, welcome to this week's episode of Entry Level. I'm recording outside. Before we get into it, I want to just say my stance on Black Lives Matter is that they absolutely matter. Um, it's insane if you disagree with that statement. Uh, Donald Trump is divisive, a uh, nightmare to this country. Um, I think everybody involved in George Floyd's murder should be uh, charged with murder. And uh, I really think we should defund the police. They get too much money. That being said, let's bring in today's uh, intro host, Carl Hess. Carl. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. You've, we're, we're sitting in Brooks's yard drinking wine, as you do. As you do. And you've been to a lot of protests here in LA. I have. You've been, pro- been protest-heavy. Uh, I've been, I've been hitting them up. It's been a, it's been a beautiful scene. Besides the police violence, it's just been uh, great to see everyone coming together, um, energized for a great cause. I want to say fuck twelve, fuck Mayor Garcetti, um, Black Lives Matter, and uh, fucking defund the police. Yes, agree with all of those things. So wait, Carl, but you have been to a lot of the protests. I currently have a shattered foot. Sure. So I've been Brooks, hobbling around. Brooks my has apartment. been hobbled. I've been down there. I've been pretty much been going to downtown Los Angeles most days. Uh, people are marching. And, you know, besides the police violence, that's horrifying that we're seeing, the vibe in the actual protest is beautiful. Yeah, you, were uh, you, you got people coming together. You got people handing out snacks and water. You got people with instruments. You got people giving out free medical aid, free legal aid. You got people picking up fucking trash, cleaning the streets. I mean, it is, it's, a, it's a beautiful coming together of people who are all united against hatred, against racism, right. against horrible state violence. And besides, you know, accepting the cops part, everything is beautiful. Yeah, because you were saying it's really chill until the cops. Show. Sure, exactly, <laughs> and 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 we've seen that across the country. L.A. is, uh, you know, it's it's the same thing that we're seeing all around this nation. That everything is peaceful until the cops show up yeah. and start getting very very aggressive. I was saying, and that's when shit gets out of hand. I was saying it was like if there was. Um, uh, we hate Brooks protest, and then, <laughs> and you were like, I know how and, to handle well, this. Well, then I'm like, I'm gonna stop the protest. And no. then I went over there. I was like, Hey, it's assholes. like a massive protest that like Brooks is mean, and you're like, I know how to I'm handle go this. Shut I'm gonna up. get in there and get real mean. Yeah, I'm gonna go shut those protesters up because I'm number one, and they need to just stop it. Okay, all right. That being said, let's move forward. We have a great interview this week with Ben Warheit. He's um, he's a new friend, but like uh, one of the funniest guys I know. Uh, if you watch Late Night with Seth Meyers, he's on there doing bits all the time. There's a link in this episode description. Also, he's in The Joker, uh, the highest-grossing the highest That's, grossing that's R- a resume. The highest-grossing R- resume right Walter. there. He creates Joker. We talk about that. He's one of the, he's the guy on the train that where the Joker— Spoiler, if you haven't seen Joker, fast forward. I haven't seconds. seen it, but I know what happens. All right. Either way, they, 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 bug, they bug Joaquin Phoenix, and then he snaps, and he chases one of them down, and he shoots him. That guy is Ben. Ben creates Joker. So this interview is really fun. Also, what's cool about Ben is he's the only guy I know, Carl, you didn't know this, who was also a scientist while being a comedian and quit science to do comedy. So we have well, what a lot about of- uh, Fahim Anwar? What but- about John Ozilei? 
Oh, that's true. Hmm. You know what? Those are true. I haven't interviewed you. I yeah, you know you what? Might, you might He's be the only You better get him on the cast. <laughs> we got two new guys, right. and we got to get him on this podcast. Either way, Ben's great. Uh, Carl, um, how has your week been besides protesting? You know, it's been pretty focused on protesting, and I think a lot of us have just been scrolling constantly, looking at the horror. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that's important to do, especially because I feel like a lot of our parents only watch cable news, so it's important to... Watch police atrocities on the internet and send it to your parents. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, it's but it's also it's definitely not good for your brain to just you know no. digest eight hours of social media a day. Even when this isn't happening, just normal social media eight hours a day is bad. It, so you know it's it's uh, you know as as a privileged white person, I'm like I'm like I'm just gonna get out there and I'm just gonna fucking lend my voice and presence okay. to what's going on. Yeah, it, it, I get I'm easily agitated right now. Sure. Because I'm just watching violence. Yeah, it's a lot of violence. By our government. It's a lot of violence. On people. Okay. But that being said, me and Ben's interview is long, so we'll make the intro short and sweet. We have great listener mail. Carl, you ready? I'm ready. It's really fun. It's got the insane clown posse. This is the diversion that I need right now. Yeah, exactly. Potato gun? Uh, Go on. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. So uh, she goes, "Um, this is, if you want to. Your uh, stories read from your terrible jobs. Email entry level with Brooks Whelan at gmail.com. Uh, this one is from Amanda Cook. She goes, Hi, Brooks. Amanda Cook here with a hellish job story. I could probably write an entire book on this job alone, so I'll make it as brief as I can. And this is pretty great. She goes, uh, Here's my version of The Cave, which you got me. Yeah. You're using lingo. Yeah, you pulled Brooks in. He's yeah. already second. Your version of The Cave? Ooh, what, what? Okay, here we go. <laughs> she goes, I was 19, which honestly, Amanda, a quick fuck you because I was 15 at the cave. I was also a, isn't a that child. highly illegal? Well, not highly, not in Iowa. <laughs> child labor? That's ah, fine. 15, you get a work permit. I don't know, but get in the cave. You were 19. You were out there. You were your. Right. Th- this was your choice. 15. That's an adult. I was subjected to the cave. Sure. All right. So we're gonna keep going. Uh, I just finished my freshman year of college, majoring in music. I went home to Chicago for the summer. My mom's idea was to mail my resume to every single music store in the city and suburbs. My main goal was to teach out of their studio. I was young and overly ambitious, so I ended up getting a job at Fat Boys Musical Outlet in Skokie. Skokie, Illinois. Skokie's trash. Uh, <laughs> I can't even Fat Boys Music Outlet in Skokie. I can't even imagine what that is. It's already a perfect. I'm, <laughs> in, I'm in. Amanda, you got me in. Okay. Yeah, we're in. Basically, picture the music shop in Wayne's World with the No Stairway to Heaven sign in a shitty strip mall. This huge redhead dude owned it, and I'm I'm also a redhead, and everyone assumed he was my father, which I made sure to inform the customers <laughs> I wasn't ah, that's on a daily basis. So that's your dad? No, no. Hi, I, welcome to Fat Boys. Can I help you? That's not my dad. <laughs> She goes, so I worked with him, a.k.a. Fat Boy. He is. He's Fat Boy. He is Fat Boy. And I appreciate the name. He's poking fun at himself. That's fun. But you won't find this hard to believe. She goes, he's also a hardcore juggalo. Oh, well, yeah. We all assumed that. (laughs) A big guy called Fat Boy from Skokie is definitely a juggalo. Mostly my job consisted of buying chew for Fat Boy at the gas station (laughs) several times a day. I was also subjugated to listening to Instant Clown Posse. Wow. And so much Eagles, 20 years later, I still cringe when I hear Hotel California. Well, that's fine. Everyone does. Yeah. Uh, the Juggalo, she's got so many nicknames for the fat boy. Now she's referred to him as the Juggalo. I like that he loves ICP, but also Eagles. Yeah, it's <laughs> a weird. That's a weird. You know what? Look. But I feel like I, every Juggalo. I like Eagles. So. Every Juggalo is a mystery box. That's true. That's true. Like, you never know. You don't know what else they like. Juggalos are not a monolith. They no. have a lot of different things you going on. You cannot put a juggalo There's in a There's a lot of box. different sub-juggalo juggalo cultures. Yes, yes, yes. She goes, uh, the juggalo really loved his homemade... Okay. 
This is okay. This is where it gets good. The Juggalo really loved his homemade potato gun and would demonstrate demonstrate for me daily in the parking lot. Yes. He also this guy got, fucking rules. He's got his own music outlet. He shoots shouldn't the, shouldn't gun. we be in the store? No, get out to the parking lot. I got I got new potatoes. She says he also got me stoned, so I obliged. Sure. Can you imagine seeing somebody shoot a potato gun in a strip mall? While you're high. Lot? And it's your boss. Sounds incredible. This, yeah, this sounds like a great job. Yeah. What I are you complaining this about? This doesn't sound like the cave at all. Okay, now keep in mind, it's 1999. They had these two smaller TVs that typically showed guitar instruction videos in the afternoon and evening. However, the store was very empty until the afternoon lesson started up, so they would just play porn on those most of the days. What? In the store? I Yes. Look, Fat Boy wow. is all over the map. Dude, Fat Boy, it was his store, his rules. Yeah, his store, his Absolute law breaking. Uh, you think there's juggalo porn? Oh, yes. Gotta be. <laughs> there's gotta be. Uh, I'm 19, an aspiring musician, listening to Insane Clown Posse, and watching dudes hide their boners all day. This is her job. She goes, At least I was high. So one day I show up to work and the shop is closed. <laughs> I love that. Uh-huh. I wait around, call the boss a few times, nothing. Because I had to drive so far, I decided to wait some more. It must have been close to an hour, and Fat Boy rolls up. In his obnoxious fat boy wrapped PT cruiser. It, oh my! Everything God. about this guy this is a cartoon. Is so on point. Of yeah. course he drives a wrapped. I want to know what was on the side. It must yeah. have been an ad for the shop. Hey, um, Amanda, if you can please. send in a please, we need photo of this. Any fat boy photos of this? Any photos of any of this? I'll post them on the Instagram. Intro level with Brooks Wheeling on Instagram. Uh, if you want to see that, please send them in. This is. I'm so intrigued. She goes, and he tells me I need him to. Dr- I need to drive him to court that day. Oh, of course. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Um, he would pay me the same, which is great. You get to get paid the same. I like same that he's to... compensating her. So I take him to the Cook County Courthouse for his court date. It's a battery Why can't charge. he drive? It's also a battery. He has a car. I don't know what's going on. You look, Fat Boy is in a Fat Boy is on a whole other level. It's a battery charge, sure. of course. Uh, something about a bar fight. Nope. He hit a lady. <laughs> he <laughs> but, hit a lady yeah. in a bar. Yeah. But he started a bar fight yeah, with a woman. Bar, bar, bar fight with his girlfriend in a bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but here's a clincher. Who should I see sitting in the courtroom but my alcoholic boyfriend at the time in there for his DUI? Chicago. Yeah. Skokie life. This oh is like gosh. a- Well, this a, is at the Cook County Courthouse. Amanda's got a wild life. Wow. Um, so she says, Chicago's a massive, massive city. I couldn't believe the coincidence. So the BF is- Wait, I, he's on jury duty? No, he's there for a DUI. Oh, of course. So now they're all in there. So the BF is eyeballing me across the room like, what the fuck are you doing with a giant old ginger right. dude? It's my but- dad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Amanda, you should have yelled at your boyfriend, this is my dad. It's my fucking dad. It's my dad. You should know that. Um, with no cell phones yet, he had to wait many hours later to get the story. I finished out my summer there, and he closed down the same year. Apparently, it was a money laundering scheme. Uh, oh. The podcast is here, Amanda. Yeah. I, but for what though? That's what I want to organize know. Like, crime, jugglos. Yeah, what are juggalos? Like it seems like two, jugglos it, probably have like drug dealing rings. It's like the thing where like some people are like Trump is trying to bring down America. I'm like he's not smart enough. Right, he's not smart enough. He's not that. smart enough. But what uh, is true is like that's how I feel about Fat Boy, the ginger. Like he is not smart enough to do money laundering. You yeah, do- but he could have just been a front man. Oh yeah, some like, people behind him. Juggalos have like a meth dealing uh, syndicate, and they're like, "Ah, this guy will run a, a, a record shop, and we'll just launder money through it." Yeah, I can see that. He was basically just a dark clown marionette for larger forces. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that I, that that could definitely uh, that could definitely be true. Um, all right, well, we won't 
stall any longer. We'll get to this week's great interview with Ben. Let's get in there. Uh, you really like it. Uh, he's great. Um, keep doing what you're doing. The world will get better. We're, change is happening, and it's amazing. Right? Yeah. I think it is. I mean. I don't as know. long as you say it, maybe it'll happen. Yeah, let's just wish it into existence. All right, take it easy. I get into a wrapped BT cruiser <laughs> that has my face on it. Yeah. yeah. Later, Brooks. Oh uh, man. All right. Enjoy this interview with Ben Warheit. He's the man. Uh, have a great week. Um, keep doing what you're doing, everybody. And uh, I don't know, Carl. Anything else? Um, I feel like I'm vamping too much. If the you such hit a, a cop, I will donate to your bail fund. Okay. You heard it from Carl. That's Hess. a promise. We'll put a link to his Venmo. <laughs> In this episode description, and you can request funds if you fight a cop. <laughs> hey, welcome to this week's episode of Entry Level. I'm here with Ben Warheit. Did I say it right, Ben? Warheit. Warheit, yeah. Uh, you know him from the Joker. He created Joker. It's very exciting. <laughs> uh, you did. Okay. Um, so Ben and I are like new friends, but I've always been a fan of your, your work on Late Night with Seth. Um, oh, yeah. you should check them out there. I'll put a link to the, where you, uh, will you give a quick rundown of the sketch where you hosted late night with, you told your parents you were hosting late night with Seth? Yeah. Um, basically I, in that sketch, I think a lot of the sketches I do and, uh, have to do with me, um, badgering or bullying Seth into doing something he doesn't want to do. Uh -huh. And, uh, that one was, uh, bullying him into letting me host the show for the night with the um, reasoning being that I told my parents I was the host, and if they saw that I wasn't the host, it would be embarrassing for me. <laughs> it was great. It was back, it was back before, you know, um, uh, a demon took over, and you had to do the news, and you could be funny on that show. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's still funny, but, like, there's less room for that now that, you know, um, we have a, a, a dictator. Uh, unimportant. Yeah. Okay, either way, Ben's very funny. He works on Late Night with Seth Meyers. Cut to a few months ago, I'm, I get to go to like an early screening of The Joker, and then there's these mean guys to nice Joker on the train. I'm like, this fucking Ben from Seth. And you, you're the guy who runs away from Joker, and he chases and shoots you. You're like his first like actual murder. Yeah, yeah. After two like self-defense shootings, he decides he's going to be murderous and chases me and, and guns me down. You created Joker. It's That's incredible. It. I did that. I, I created him. You did. And you got paid just as much and you get exactly the residuals he gets. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I get points on the back end, too. <laughs> uh, okay, but we'll build up to all that stuff. Uh, Ben's a very funny comic, but I don't know that much about what you did before set. So, um... We'll, we'll get there, and then we'll get to mm -hmm. Joker, but all, all that's important. Where are you at right now? Are you in New York? No, I'm in my parents' house in Wilmington, Delaware. You're still doing the sketch. Yeah, well, yeah, we're, um, we're, we're working from home. No, um, I know. I'm joking. I'm saying oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I'm still doing it because yeah, I'm, I'm in love with my parents, and I'm going to try and marry them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, do you really, are, are your parents cool? Yeah, my parents are real cool. It's real. It's actually pretty easy to live here. It's like uh, my dad. My dad's a scientist, and he's. I mean, he's retired, but he's working now more than ever because he's like consulting, and um, so he's in his study like all day. And my mom, ever since she retired, she was a medical librarian, and she's like you know a lifelong learner, always interested in learning stuff. So 
retirement for her has been like an opportunity to uh, take classes and learn every other thing she never got to learn. And so everybody's busy in the house. Everybody's just doing their own thing. It's That's pretty great. Nice. Um, yeah. What was your dad a scientist in? He's a fiber toxicologist. And it's, a, it's something that I don't really fully understand, but it's a biological science. It's, it has to do with, he, he studies how nanoparticles affects, affect lungs. Okay. Um, and he's like preeminent in his field, but I don't understand any of it. Yeah, it sounds like a field there's like, not to, if you get that advanced, not knock your dad, it sounds like there's eight of them and he's one of the eight. <laughs> Yeah, and they're all his, like, best friends. <laughs> <laughs> so did he work out of D.C.? Or is that why – I mean, how close is Delaware where you're at? To no, no we, we're, we've always been in Delaware because that's – I think they moved here for my dad's job, which was in, at DuPont. You know DuPont? Oh, yeah, the guy who murdered my favorite wrestler of all time. Yeah, that family. Same, yeah, yeah. <laughs> same family. Um, but DuPont's like one of the biggest, uh, chemical companies in the world. And so. Yeah. And, and one of the biggest murderers of Dave Schultz. Well, you know, I, I mean, you, you, wait, are you talking about Foxcatcher or? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you know how like all the property in that movie is like huge and expansive. Mm -hmm. I live like, like very close to all the DuPont property we live like less than a mile from the dupont country club and like the entire dupont family who's not like the immediate family who lives in like you know the billion dollar houses like all the lesser duponts live right. in these neighborhoods behind the dupont country club where they all have their own house next to one another like do they all also murder um top united states wrestlers after uh lying and bringing them in under a guise of comfort and money I'm, I'm sure that they could. I'm sure more of them have done that than you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just grew up loving wrestling, and Dave Schultz is so rad. He's my brother's favorite wrestler. He's trained to make the Olympics, and then out of nowhere, my brother's like, some guy killed Dave Schultz. And I was like, who? And then he was like, the guy who sponsors Jeff Gordon's NASCAR. And I was like, what? <laughs> and it was, that's the only way I could comprehend it was. So uh, your Jeff brother's favorite wrestler was not like uh, – a pro like was not like a wwf wrestler no like see we grew up in iowa where wrestling like he's a he's a wrestling coach now and we grew up wrestling and like the it was the, right before the 96 olympics which were you know in a, in atlanta so we're all fucking jacked up like he's 13 and he's like so excited because us was gonna win a bunch of medals but um yeah and then that movie came out fox catcher and the, I got so mad at like, uh, there's like a, the, a hip girl that I like know who's like in the comedy scene. And she like went up, she was like wearing a fox catcher uh, sweatshirt. And I'm like, that's a murderer. Like that guy killed a dude. Wait, uh, why was she wearing a fox catcher? Because it was cool from the movie. Like the movie, like it's uh, like a cool 90s logo. And it was like, looked cool. And then they started selling it at fucking Urban Outfitters, I'm sure. But oh, okay. I was, say, if it was like actual like merch or not merch, but if it was like actual vintage, then maybe it would have been cool. No, it would have been cool. I have a I have an actual vintage like from '96 uh, in memory of Dave Schultz wrestling shirt that I'm like that. Oh, that's pretty cool. It's great, but it's been stretched out, and now it looks like I'm wearing a potato sack. Um, but okay, none of this is important, but it's also exciting. So you live. None in of this Cal is important. <laughs> well, it's important to the people involved, you know, the family was murdered. 
all that, and Steve Carell's career. It really helped it out. Yeah. Did you watch he's Space? Had, he's had some good ones, and then he's had some not so good ones. No, yeah, I haven't seen Space Force yet. Did you watch it? Yeah, I was. I really did not like it. Yeah, I. You know, when I said I watched it, I meant I tried to, and I was like, I gotta. I'm gonna. You know, I'm gonna look at the news. It could just be a pilot issue. I mean, it could just be like one of those first episode issues, but I didn't like that first episode. Well, I will try it again. Also, I just am like, just literally do The Office. Just do The Office. It's so funny. <laughs> you got everybody there. Just make, make another season of The Office. I'll love it. I'll love it. Right. Yeah. Uh, why try anything new? Knock it off. Give us what we want. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then also I did, I saw that Corral said like, oh, The Office wouldn't work in today's climate. And it, I was like, oh, shut up. You said you would just make it. You make it work. You, you of course, uh, yeah. joke from two thousand. He's like, we wouldn't be able to talk about. I mean, he didn't say this, but you know, he's like, well, to, you know, the references wouldn't have worked. I'm like, well, you'd write new references, you fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Either way, now that I'm done dragging, uh, like the best comedic actor, uh, let's get back to interviewing Ben. So Ben, would you, uh, where are you from? And what was your first job? Um, I'm from Wilmington, Delaware. Okay. And my first job was, um, I think, in high school being a camp counselor. And then, so there, I lived pretty close to the JCC where I did go to camp when I was a kid. What's that? And the J- Jewish Community Center. Okay, see, I grew up like in the mid, like as Midwest as you can, where there were no, not even Jewish people. So, oh, right. Where don't... in the Midwest? Where? Iowa. So I, I, de- I definitely don't know Jewish Community Center uh, slang. Right, right. Well, they call it the JCC, and sometimes they call it the J. Okay. I mean, if you're really familiar with it. See, my, see they also call my, the YMCA the Y. Oh, okay. I'm familiar with the YMCA, but there was not a hit song called the JCC. No. There About hasn't going- been, there has not yet. Well, actually, you know what? There probably was because one thing like jews like to do is like really celebrate a parody so i'm sure every like shitty rabbi came up with a jcc ymca parody and their congregation ate it up not thinking about how the ymca is about going and getting railed down at the ymca yeah definitely not thinking yeah he did not put together that he's saying come get fucked at the jcc Uh, Wait, okay. Speaking of, of like, this is a total tangential thing, but something I just realized in a song was, oh fuck, what was the song? That just made me think of it. Um, oh, okay. Brown sugar. Wait, is it brown sugar? In yeah. in some song, you make a grown man cry. What song is that? That's the Rolling Stones. Called it's called Brown Sugar. You yeah, okay, cry. that's right. So it is. Yeah. So I realized that on the radio. This is this is a lyric in the song because I never hear lyrics in songs. I, I'm I just don't hear. Yeah, them. I get it. I heard in a, ra- a lyric on the radio. One of the lyrics in that song is "You make a dead man come." <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know this? Am I, am I the only one who doesn't know this? I know it. I guess the 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 um you know the melodic brown sugar really takes over what you hear. Because I could really just be like, brown sugar, brown and bacon, feel good. I didn't, so it makes a dead man come? 
you make a dead man come. And then he goes, come, 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 come. You can't be right. I'm looking up brown sugar. Li- look it up. Look it up. Okay, brown sugar lyrics. Um, let me, you'd make a dead man come. Okay, here we go. Uh, Gold Coast slave ship. Okay, brown sugar, brown sugar drums. You you should have heard him around just tonight. Um, all your boyfriends were 16. You make a, I do not say, I do not see you make a dead man come anywhere in the these. last lyric. The last? Look at the last lyric. Okay, it says, how come uh, brown sugar... Just like a black girl should. Okay, I don't like that. Brown sugar, how come you taste? Oh wait, it start me up. Sorry, it start me up. It start me up. Okay, it's okay. You have me over here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm not reading. I'm not gonna look up the start me up lyrics. Oh come on, you would have okay. proved me right. All right, fine. <laughs> I, now, now I see how you get Seth to uh, to do this stuff. You just go, oh come on, man. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> I okay. got nothing over here. You yeah. <laughs> I live with my parents, man. Just not gonna help me out. Um, start me up. Don't make don't make a grown man cry. Um, last lyric. Last lyric. You make a dead man come. Okay. Then they say it twice. Yeah. And then he's like, come, 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 come. And yeah. and and you just heard that cruising around. I heard that, oh. and, I, and I was surprised that that's a lyric that they put on the radio. Okay, I'm realizing, I think most, it seems, reading these, both of these are just about how they love heroin. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on, you may think start me up. Is this about heroin? I mean, they both sound like it. Brown sugar, well, brown sugar, is that about, like, is that about black girls or is that about black heroin? Girls. Yeah, okay. that's about okay. black girls. All right, well, now's the time that you and I should really get into that. Right, right. <laughs> um okay so you're you're from Wilmington and here's another tangential thing about Delaware uh did you like Dogfish Head I always wanted to go to that brewery yeah Dogfish Head is um you know it's it's become in my you know through my adult life one of the more famous Delaware things which is cool yeah I've been to the brewery it's you know I love Dogfish Head stuff I was so, like, because there was a really good, listeners, you should check this out, a documentary called Beer Wars. Came out in, like, 2004. And it it is basically, like, Miller, um, Bush, and Coors versus all of the new beers that were just starting. And, like, they focused on Dogfish Head, and the guy who owns it was, like, the coolest fucking guy ever. Just, like... Oh, that's good to hear. Like a, like a, seemed like a Delaware surf bro, but like yeah. really like just lived in like with his family and like worked really hard. He's like, I don't know, man, I just really enjoy beer. And I was like, well, I like this guy. <laughs> Wait, did you just, um, when you ran the marathon, did you drink a bunch of beers? The night before, not daring. Okay. Yeah, no. And I have to go, I broke my foot. Uh, I have to, I'm going to the doctor as soon as this is done to get my foot um, fixed, but not from that. I'm- no, not from, okay, good. Uh, from, from being on mushrooms at, in a river two weeks ago. Oh, that stinks. But I mean, that's great about the mushrooms in the river. Yeah, I kicked a rock. Okay. Uh, but so, and also I'm like, now ASICs like hit me up to be like, hey, what if you actually train? And now I'm like, well, I'm not making any money doing comedy. Might as well, I'm going to become a full-time marathon guy now. But I got to go get my, my legs fixed that I destroyed from running a marathon uh, ill-prepared. Okay. So, Wilmington, Delaware. What's it like? How big is that? Uh, Delaware is a pretty small state. I think it's like the second smallest state, but 
you know, it feels pretty, it feels big enough. It doesn't really have much of a reputation, Delaware. It's tough to um, get to. I think it might, it might be the only state I've never been to. If I have, cause like, I don't know where I would have performed there. Yeah, it's, it's the least known state. Nobody knows anything about it. You also but don't drive through it on the way to anywhere. You could drive, you, I, maybe, maybe not. What about if you're going from New York to DC? At least that's what I would do. I, um, I don't know. I, I'm sure I've done it. I guess, I, I guess I've driven through Delaware. I've just never done a show there. Um, what does Delaware have? Well, what you would want to do in Delaware is go shopping because there is tax-free shopping here. There's okay, no so you got a lot of people popping over for, you know, get, stick it to the gov? Yeah, you know, you buy your beer here and then you take it home to Pennsylvania or Maryland, you know. Okay. That's what people cool. do. Buy TVs here, too. Buy, do your Christmas shopping here at the Concord Mall. <laughs> is the mall popping right now? What's going on with uh, Corona? And the mall is shut down. I think I might have been the last person in the mall because, the, like, I came home like right as the pandemic, like late March, and I was like, I'm gonna go into the mall. It looks like there's like nobody in there, and for some reason the doors were open, and I was just wandering around the mall, and there was nobody in here, and I was just kind of marveling at it. Yeah. And then eventually a security guard came over and was like, what are you doing in here? The mall's closed. <laughs> and I was like, well, the door was open. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's, um, there was like, there's a full, um, uh, fucking, uh, curfew in Los Angeles right now. And it's 6 PM. So you can't be outside unless you're heading to or from an essential service or your work. Mm-hmm. And everything's closed. So at like seven, it's still beautiful outside. And me and my girlfriend walked down the street and it was creepy as fuck. Like yeah. it's full, like, uh, and like nothing but cop, nothing but helicopters and sirens and like fireworks, like in like the sounds of what sounds like war two miles away. I'm like, this is nuts. But yeah. Trump's got it handled. We elected him fair and square. Get over it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and that's what I've been saying to all, everybody at late night. Yeah. I know. I know. Uh, okay. We'll get to late night and what it's like to work from home from there. But uh, so your first job is at the uh, Jewish YMCA. Yeah. The JYMCA. And I was a counselor for um, like, I think two years. And then no, like one or two years, and then I well, what, what goes into that? You're just like, you're, you're looking after kids who are like two years younger than you? No, I was like looking over like eight, nine-year-old, ten-year-old kids, I think. And what goes on in like a Delaware Jewish community center? Like what, are you guys like looking at geodes or are you just like playing outside? Like what happens? Yeah, it's a lot of playing outside. Like at the time it felt like a massive landscape like you know that you're playing outside you're playing inside you're going from like it's like you know how schools got different periods like seven periods in a day yeah it was like that except you're not going to math and science you're going from like arts and crafts to ropes course to you know uh, sounds amazing could could uh me um a what do you call non-jewish people like uh, a gentile could could a Gentile attend? Because it sounds great. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people who weren't Jewish went to J. It was a good summer camp. Okay, what about an anti-Semite? Um, if you kept it on the hush hush, I think you could <laughs> probably pull it off. If you were like very loud about it, then no, probably not. <laughs> okay, okay. 
All right, I think I could have got it. Um, I'm joking. That's I, I don't know why I'd have, I don't know. If you're just now, it, like, this is like my 140th episode. What if they're like, that's it, too far. Got him. <laughs> yeah, got him. Okay, so. Move, move, move in, move in. <laughs> okay, all right. So you're there, you're helping kids with the ropes course. It sounds incredible. Are you 15, 14, 15? Yeah, I was, yeah, I guess I was, well, I was probably like 13, 14, 15. Because I think by the time I was 15, I managed to work my way, somehow negotiate being the camp photographer. Oh, whoa. Um, which cool. was like not a thing before that. Um, and I wasn't like any kind of photographer either. So I'm not exactly sure how, it, I think I was like well-liked by the camp director and they they needed a photographer somebody who could like take digital photographs upload them to the camp website so that parents could see what their kids are up to during the day yeah that's like the advent of like proof we're not proof we're like doing what we say we're doing like right. hey, hey, I, I don't know if you guys really have that ropes course like no 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 ben took some photos look at it yeah but i would like almost never take photos of the ropes course because what i figured out early on is that nobody was looking at the pictures because uh, they weren't like advertising that they did it so I would take all the photographs in like the first hour of the day when everyone in the camp was um, at the same meeting point like at all the picnic tables right. and then after that I would upload them or I would wait like you know you can make them look like they're from all all across the day it doesn't matter um, and then I would spend the entire rest of the day uh, in a hidden spot reading uh justice league graphic novels <laughs> or dc graphic novels yeah just that's like, uh that's incredible stacks. like shirking duties that early into your career is is incredible it really i learned i learned how you can sort of uh do all the work you need to do and then do you know have the fun you want to have as long as you did the work you needed to do. Yeah, and you really complain about the work you need to do. You make it sound like it's a lot harder than it is. Like, God, <laughs> I need more time. Yeah. Just in uh, case anybody asks, so they don't yeah. ask again. <laughs> <laughs> guys, guys, these, this, dude, have you, like, it's also fun when you are, um, like, I'm sure this is like, what, 2000, like, one or two or whatever, and it's the time where, like, you as a 15 year old knew how to upload photos and there's no way anybody yeah. else there did. And you're like, yeah. do you guys know how hard it is to upload these photos? Cause like, yeah. I can't like, I remember we had a teacher one time where my friend like was like, I'll install all the computers if you pay me like $500. And she was like, deal, deal. And like, he just <laughs> took like, you know, 10 minutes, just hung out there like for like three days being like, oh yeah. my God, <laughs> yeah. I rewire this printer. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you're, Shirking duties, you're taking photos at the JCC. What happens after that? What, what's Ben's first like real, you gotta, you gotta dress up to go to a job? Um, when I went in college, I, I worked- um, So you worked at the JCC all through high school? Yeah, for, for summer. But I didn't have a day job while I was um, during the school year. What'd you do during the school year? What, was your, what were you getting into besides hanging out at the DuPonts plotting murders? I was- um, I, you know what, I was probably like during after school, I was, I was doing a lot of photoshopping and like making videos by myself. And, and then when I discovered uh, that I could jerk off, I was jerking off a lot. 
Um, oh, at, at 19, you started jerking off? Yeah. That's great. So yeah, so so in high school you're just like into comedy and making weird and making stuff. Yeah, I don't think. Well, I guess I was. I was like, I was into comedy as a comedy fan. Like, I would definitely. I was, you know, the only TV I watched was Comedy Central and Cartoon Network. But um, I was making videos. Not, but I I wouldn't. I guess they were comedy videos, but they were just sort of like goof around videos. Yeah, I mean, it was you probably had like Premiere or something like an editing like program and you could just like, yeah, I can make a little movie. Yeah, it was called Pinnacle. I, I, and actually one of the, one of my big regrets from that time is that eventually my camera crapped out on me and I was really dead set on getting a Canon GL2, which was like the next level up ca- camera and like a digital camera. And I just never got it. And like, it was stupid of me. Cause I feel like that was time wasted where I could have been like, I actually maybe would have been more, like disposed to being like to, to filmmaking than to like other stuff but oh well they love it yeah no i remember i bought a canon when i was 19 and it was like you know like fucking 600 dollars, which was like all of my money like all of it and because yeah. it cost so much i was like we have to make stuff i'm yeah. like I, I really fucked myself we gotta like and it like it caused me to like shoot way more stuff so you're right ben you would have been a lot further let's keep moving um I was, I was joking. <laughs> I say you've been further in your career than than you are, but you. Uh, you well, I, I maybe would have been, been the Joker. You wouldn't have been making the Joker. You'd be the Joker if you got. I, I always regret. I think I'm a lot like my mom in this way. Where like I I see my life as like I there's always more to learn, and I and I'd like to learn more. Um, and for me, it's like this about is like creative stuff. I I imagine that when I retire, I'm going to be doing like a lot of art classes, a lot of gardening. I'm gonna like become a sculptor, like, but like there's always more stuff to do. And I wish like right now, I wish I knew like logic. I wish I could make like beats and like, yeah. And, like, I can't, like I wish I was like better at Premiere, like better at like, at like editing programs. I wish I understood how to use like cameras better and like, you know, I wish, there's always more to do. And I think everything informs everything else. like. You become a better actor, you become a better writer if you know how to edit, you know, you know yeah. how to direct. No, absolutely. I made like a short and then I edited it or helped edit it. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Continuity is it? Mm. stop, stop like, you know, just like it just, I would get so mad at other actors because I had to edit around their mistakes. I'm like, oh, this is, it does help a bunch. Um, yeah. And that's why I was the Joker and not you. Okay. So... <laughs> You're in high school, you're making videos, you're into it. Um, uh, and then where do you go to college? Um, so I go to college at University of Delaware. Um, I, I applied- Really getting away. What, what? You're, you're really spreading those wings. Yeah, well, I wanted to go to Yale. I applied their early decision. I guess I didn't have a chance. I did pretty well in school, in high school, but like my thing in high school was singing. I was, um, I was like, I was first chair in the all state the last year. Like I always did singing stuff and I, and I like studied it and um, with like a teacher. Okay, cool. And, like um, what do you, what is, I don't, I don't have any friends who are like really good at singing. What is, what does the first chair mean and studied it? Oh, it, okay. So like I, I took classical singing lessons with an instructor. Like, like um, opera, like la, 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 like. Not opera, but um, 
but like classical singing, which is like, like something that nobody listens to. Oh. <laughs> like, it's like, um, like songs from like the 17, 1800s. <laughs> <laughs> the music's dark ages, you're like, I'm yeah. gonna really get into this. I, I had no real preference. Like, I don't think I discovered what music I even liked until I was in college, but like I was studying, like I, I knew I liked music and I was really like into doing plays and, and barbershop and madrigal choir and and acapella and stuff like that in high school. And I led my high school's acapella group. And we, we would go to competition every year in Florida and, and we would always win. So you're, so, you're, you're, the, you're a rare case of your favorite part of the movie American Pie was the singing. Yeah. Because he's in that quartet. Wait, American Pie, he was in a quartet? I thought he was yes. in a Yes, I watched it the other day. Tell you what, still funny. In American Pie, Chris Klein is in the lacrosse and the- Oh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah, that's the, that girl, uh, Mina Savari. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're into that, like what is, what's like, who's your favorite um, composer or whatever? Who's your favorite like singer? I don't even know what to call them from the 1800s. I don't know, because none of that stuff matters to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but at the time, like, I really, I, I was really into singing. I thought that's where I wanted to go with my career. And so I applied early decision to Yale into their vocal program. Mm -hmm. And I did not get in. And I, uh, I've resented Ivy League schools ever since. Well, it didn't take me to not get in to resent them. <laughs> I just, I hate them. Well, you didn't get, you didn't, you didn't have to get rejected by them. <laughs> uh, well, that's because I saw ahead. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not going to let them. I'm gonna go to Iowa. I'm I'm with Iowa to I'm to what you are to Delaware to Iowa. Grew up okay. there. I went to this school and resent people with money. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. And, and rich people, or or rather celebrities' children. Oh my God! Any yes? Ugh! Don't even. But either way, um, all right. Uh, if I ever do a show at an Ivy League school, uh, not that one. Okay. So moving forward, you're going to Delaware. What do you? I study? Go to Delaware. And I, um, I determined my major is going to be neuroscience. And um, because I was always like, I always liked psychology, but you can't really study that much psychology in high school. And because both my parents were in sciences, it just seemed like merging that with science, with biology was like a kind of a smart thing to do. And yeah, that's what I did. I was a biomedical engineer. Oh yeah? Because I wanted to be a doctor or an engineer and I didn't know. Yeah, right? You can just be like, well, how about both? <laughs> yeah, how about, yeah, how about, well, it honestly, it was a good degree because I got it and then I got to, got to do it because it's just a nice undergraduate degree that leads directly into med school if you decide to do that. Right, okay. So and it was like the only smart thing right. I did as a, as a kid. Uh, okay, sorry, go ahead. Um, well, so, so I guess my first job in college then was doing undergraduate research because I did that most of the time I was in college. Uh, working in a lab and, uh, for the psychi psychology department. Dude, I, I worked in labs for uh, four years after college. Yeah. yeah, it's the best because you just set up a test, you run it, and you surf the internet. Yeah, it, it was mostly easy except for um, the horrible parts where you have to um, you know, uh, habituate rats to being around you and then uh, grew, gruesomely murder them, and uh, and uh, that that was the real horrifying part. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, 
we'll get to that in a, in a sec, but I, I left, we went down to San Diego and euthanized, um, I think 16 bunnies one day and they're very cute. And I like stepped out and it was when like things were going well enough in comedy to where I was like, I can't, I think I can quit. And I just call like my manager. I was like, you gotta get me out of here, man. Like I'm killing rabbits in San Diego right now. <laughs> okay. It was it's fucking brutal. Okay, it's but I want to hear, so what, was what type of testing were you doing? We were doing fear, unconditioned fear uh, testing to see if rats who had lesions to their basolateral amygdalas were going to be able to uh, recognize trimethylthiazoline, which is a component of fox species, which is a natural predator. It's something that they don't need to learn to be afraid of. Okay. And also, here's the thing that working in a lab allows you to do, which is exactly what you just did. You learn a very short but very specific amount of words that make <laughs> you sound so much smarter than you really are. It's my big trick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's my big trick, too. I'm like, lives and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, it's like, I'm like, dude, you spend two years around these eight words, and you know how to use them? You sound like you're smart. I don't know yeah. what they mean. Anybody who thinks I'm dumb ever this is my this is my backup it's just well yeah. i guess you know he got a degree in neuroscience <laughs> no exactly I, and I as a guy who got a degree in biomedical engineering i'm like it's not that hard you just don't quit you do <laughs> yeah you just do it <laughs> yeah this is incredible oh man this is fun it's like seeing a fellow idiot who also <laughs> can pretend they're smart we need like a <laughs> No, I mean, the, yeah, the, the sign is whenever someone who I know is not a genius starts using big words, and I'm like, well, they just, they just know how to do the trick. Yeah. They know the trick. They know the trick. They know the lab trick for idiots. The lab, tr lab trick for idiots. Very okay. I'm so glad nobody else knows about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I know what he's doing. I get this. I do it, too. Uh, yeah, because I started a cardiovascular biomechanics with an emphasis on um, – heart valves and i'm just like oh yeah no the the uh aorta that's that's a tricuspid and then your mitral valve that's bicuspid and you what are you what are we doing bovine or porcine tissue like when anybody gets one and they're like wow wow and i'm like don't ask me any further questions please wait can i ask a further question yeah yeah are you talking about they they use bovine tissue on humans Bovine pericardium, which is like the sac around pericardium is the sac around your heart it's a really thin tissue so they will, um, you know, uh, use a cow's heart and then take the pericardium, which is this like tissue that very much mimics a human's heart valve tissue. And then they will cut it out into three leaflets. And then um, a really wonderful Taiwanese lady in Orange County will sew it into um, this little cloth thing and make like a, uh, it's called a bioprosthetic valve. And then they sew that into your heart valve. Wow, and it, and it just, there's no complications because they're similar enough to human tissue? Um, there's complications, but it's like the difference between, uh, well, it is important. So the, co the complications are that when I was working there, or studying uh, around 2009, the, those valves would last 20 years, and then you'd need to get them replaced. Um, and it, also the complications is op full open heart surgery, which is always tough. Uh, versus you, you get a mechanical valve that'll last forever, but then you need to be on Coumadin, which is like a blood thinner. Okay, that's my trick. I'm done. Uh, I sound like you know what I'm talking about. You know more than you 
think though, right? I mean, nobody ever asks me more, but I bet I could remember more. <laughs> well, yeah, I also, but I had to, I mean, it was just like, I really learned everything there was to know about heart valves and then did it for a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, and that takes a little bit to get out of your brain. Okay, yeah. but it's happening. So how would you do this test? How'd this test happen? This test, the, uh, oh, what, what we did with the rats. Okay, so we would lesion their uh, basolateral amygdala. We, we would make a small lesion in their brain in the amygdala. When you say we, you mean you'd watch a surgeon do this? No, um, well, you it would be me and, the, uh, and my instructor. Sometimes me, sometimes the instructor, but like, I wasn't like, you know, I would, I would need supervision if I were doing it. You right. have to line up, you have to like put the rat's head while it's under anesthesia, while it's like knocked out. You have to put the rat's head in like a device so that you can, um, so you can know exactly where you're drilling a hole and, and inserting the needle. Yeah. It's very, it's very small. The brains are like the sides of like, you know, like the, you know, the tip of your finger. And so, like, when you're making a lesion in, in, like, a very small component of the brain, you need to be very precise. And sometimes you don't even know if you're hitting the right spot until after all of the experiments are over, and you finally take the brain out, and then you slice it up, and then you're like, well, did we get the spot? No, we didn't. Like, <laughs> we missed it. <laughs> so that's... That would have, I, I dropped, like... Um... I dropped like cadaver eyes on the ground one time and then stepped on it, reaching down to pick it up. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, those human organ donor eyes. I'm like, eh, I stepped on it. <laughs> like, <"What?" laughs> those are going to go to Stevie Wonder. <laughs> oh, dude, he was my, um, so like the main guy in charge would come off, not often, but like the top eye surgeon at USC, um, and he did work with Stevie Wonder. And I'd be like, what's Stevie Wonder like? And he would be like, he doesn't understand. He's never going to be able to see. And I'm like, oh, Stevie. Wait, he worked with Stevie Wonder? He's the top eye, eye surgeon in, like, oh, probably, you know, top one of the top in the world, but definitely in Los Angeles. So he has, like, met with Stevie Wonder and stuff like that. So I so would Stevie ask him Wonder's all sorts of things. constantly exploring, like, options so that he can get eyes? Yes. Oh, wow. Which I get. Can you imagine being that rich and that, like, and being like, I just want one thing. They're like, oh, it's not, not going to happen. No, it's never going to happen. Also, at this point in his life, like, even if he got eyes, his brain is too old to, like, make the changes. Like, it wouldn't know what to do with the new stimulus. Don't tell that, don't tell that to a blind person. Like, you couldn't handle <laughs> it. Uh, okay, so, <laughs> yeah, it, it's the opposite of when, like, a colorblind kid gets to see color and they like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those videos where it's like, oh, wow, he's color and they cry. You, you show Stevie Wonder how to see and he freaks out and says, take me back. <laughs> okay, so you do these lesions on these rats' brains. Yeah. And, and so, then, so we would, yeah, so then we would, um, we would expose them to the, the TMT, the trimethylthiazolamine, the fox species odor, and um, and then they would either know like to run away or they wouldn't, and then um, I mean, in short, we were just seeing if we were trying to determine if this part of the brain in a rat actually has to do with uh, unconditioned fear. So if they weren't afraid of this stuff 
that means that we lesioned the right area and our hypothesis that the basolateral amygdala has to do with controlling uh, fear, especially unconditioned fear, is accurate. And then we know more about the brain. We know that, oh, okay, this part of the amygdala is what controls fear, which is, you know, something we wouldn't know before. Yeah. So that's what we were trying to figure out. That's, uh, that's incredible. So you just had to like be around killing a lot of rat, a lot of rats. That sucks. Yeah, that sucks. I, in the, um, at the, at this big company I worked for the, at the, the animals trial part of this huge campus that I would walk through there. Sometimes this was a shortcut. And every time I walked through, I was like, stop walking through here. Um, because it was just, it smelled like animals and you just knew what was going on. And I remember they would have like all these really wonderful like cute animal photos of like be kind to our friends and i remember there was like a big little cute hamster and it was huge and it just said like underneath it beeps when backing up and i was like don't <laughs> don't do that, that, that Ooh, why, why does it they just that? try to make these animals cute and so i was like no you're you're running tests on them you should have a, a gross rat and said i did the plague like make us feel better about killing them yeah it was rough. No thanks. A lot of sheep euthanization. No, no, no. Okay. So you go to school, you get this degree. Yeah. And then Actually, what you- I did have other jobs when I was in college. I was a caterer and a bartender and a dishwasher at a pizza place. <laughs> are you, are you, any rats, rats involved? Any fun stories there? Actually, no, not fun stories, but it did teach me to be okay with washing dishes. And I think it was what ultimately turned me into like, a person who like takes care of their own area and cleans up their mess and like makes their bed and stuff like that. I think I hated like cleaning up after myself until I had to do it for work and then I became okay with it. And that, that adds up. I remember, remember when you're little and your mom will like clean a dish and she'll like put her hands, like she'll like, you know, use her hands to like wipe the dishes off or whatever. Yeah, you're like, and you're like, that's gross. Yeah, you're like, are you kidding? Oh my, you, she touched yeah. mashed potatoes. Did you say, yeah. wash your hands when you're done. So when you do that for a job and all you do is that, uh, you become okay with it. (laughs) It desensitizes you. Yeah. And I'm really glad I had that experience. (laughs) Uh, What was it? Any shout outs to the places you worked? Are they good? Are they still there? Oh yeah. Grotto's Pizza is still there. Grotto's Pizza is like the biggest pizza chain in Delaware. Ooh, that's a biggie. Um, all right. Has the guy from Barstool Sports tried it yet? I just found out about that guy who eats pizza and then uh, attacks uh, people's businesses in front of them. Oh, I don't really know much about Barstool Sports except that people just keep telling me that it's huge. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm glad that nobody's telling you it's great. Uh, it's really, it's just massive. And then I got into uh, my old roommate which sent me this thing where this guy just walks around and he tries pizza in front of like owners of small businesses and then he's like this is fucking trash 1.3 and the guy's like i moved here for this <laughs> it's uh it's really aggressive uh, it's not for us but uh let's keep going so after college what happens um so after college i moved to uh the big apple and I... the idea to do comedy or the idea to yeah. be science? yeah because during during college um, I was also on my school's improv team, the Rubber Chickens, for for uh, the entire time, basically. And um, a lot of our alums had already moved to New York City. And they kind of created a network. Like, we would go up on weekends during college to go see them in shows and stay on their couches and, 
And, like, Neil Casey and Joe Wengert were dudes uh, who already came from, like, our college program and were doing stuff at UCB, and they were really good. Those guys are both cool as hell, too. Yeah. And so we would go see them in shows. And then, like, a bunch of other alums, like, between my year and their year, those guys are, like, four years older than me. Um, A bunch of other people who have graduated moved to New York City. So it just looked like something you could do um, and then try and make it work. And so that was my plan. And I moved to New York City. And uh, I, my goal was like, I'm going to, I, I got a place for two months, uh, basically staying in a, a one bedroom in the East Village in, in that I got off of Craigslist. And the, the place I was staying was this guy named Eek the Geek, who's a, who's a, um, he's a circus freak. He's like a Coney Island sideshow performer. Okay. And he's the full body tattoo man. He's like massive man who like lies on spikes and every inch of his body is covered in tattoos. And that was and your room. Like, that was your first roomie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I found him on Craigslist and, and I was like, whatever, it's New York city. Everybody's kind of kooky. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, it turned out that was like a big mistake. <laughs> And he was a he was a true psychopath, and um, and and his the the big thing that really was weird about him was he would never stop talking. So from the moment like I walked into the door, he would start talking to me until like I went into my bedroom and shut the door, and then he would talk at the door, and never stop. And um, I like how the this sir, this quote unquote sideshow act from Coney Island, whose ta- every inch of his body is covered in tattoos and uh, lays on spikes. What you didn't like about him was he's a little chatty. He was he was way too chatty. But ultimately, when I decided that, like, look, I was only renting the room for a short time and going month to month. It was nine hundred bucks a month, and it was in, at second. It was at Second Ave or Avenue A and Second Street, so like, real good spot in the East Village. Yeah, I lived on Third and D, I, and I would walk past there and be like, "Someday." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and like he had the place because it was like rent controlled, and he'd been there forever. But it was um, all spikes on the ground. No one else could really live there. No, right? It was yeah. it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> he actually he he told me when I moved in he was going to like because it only had one bedroom. He said he was going to, like, build a partition in the living room and then sleep behind there. He never did. He just slept on the floor of the living room. Um, like, a, like a real smart guy. <laughs> and um, when I, I got a job and I was going to move out and I was going to move in with my best friend, and, it, like, timing was working out really well for me because, like, within a month and a half, I had secured this job at, at Columbia at and like in their psychiatric in psych psychiatrics division doing well, i'll talk about that next but uh um i i got this job and i got an apartment and i was like great i'm gonna move out and i told him i was like hey i'm moving out in two weeks so like the end of this month and he lost his fucking mind about it and spent the next two weeks threatening to beat the shit out of me because i was a pretty boy college boy who had no respect and like didn't give him enough notice and like and and, he, and he's like, man, if I, you know, if, if this was back in the early days, I, sh- I should beat the shit out of you. And like, man, it was rough. He also, I can't believe how much stuff happened in those first two months in the city because it felt like a whole year's worth of stuff. Like I started dating this girl that I met in an improv class and she was like 
to me like this beautiful actress like way ahead of me and like and like I couldn't believe my like good fortune and the first time I had her over at like my place to spend the night um she went out to use the bathroom in the middle of the night and he started yelling at her <laughs> for being too noisy and he yells at her for like 10 minutes and I don't go out to defend her because I think if I do, I'm only gonna make it worse. And I couldn't believe how long she stood out there while he was yelling at her. Like being like, don't you know people in this building have jobs? You, you people have no respect. And like, I'm just thinking like, this is bad for me. This is the last time she's ever gonna, she's ever gonna wanna come over here. It turned out I was right. She never wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I would, yes, okay. Uh, how long did you date that lady? Was that it? Did you, was that, she's like, I can't. That, that one kind of like, that one was like a little bit heartbreaking because I was really into her. Well, of course, like my first like love and not love per se, but like my first big crush in New York City. And she was so like, you know, I was like a small town-ish kid and like she was from the cities, like she had lived in Paris and like she invited me into her world and we would go to these parties at like, you know, actor people places. And like, I was like, wow, this is so fucking cool. So it was kind of heartbreaking to like, you know, get the cold shoulder from her. But yeah. eventually, but like, you know, what really sucked is that it just kind of like, dwind like, I, I kind of got breadcrumbed, I think is what the term is. Like, not ghosted per se, but like she would make plans and then break them. And then like, I never saw her for like, well, actually, is is she jo is she making Joker now? Huh? She's a no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's not out there creating Joker. No, she's a good. She's a nice girl though. I she still um like comments nice things on all my Instagram. But <laughs> yeah, that's because you're create you're out there creating the Joker. Uh, okay, so you're living with Keith the Freak, uh, but you get to move out. We get this job at Columbia, so it sounds like you did. The, it sounds like we had like parallel experiences where I came to LA and kept doing science while I got to do comedy. And I, and I thought that was the perfect combo because it's a day job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had this day job that didn't really require too much brain power and I was able to do comedy at night. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, that was similar to me. I was running, once I left my like, soup, my, once I got fired from my real engineering, not my real one, the big corporate engineering job, I worked for a startup running tests and that's where it's like you set up a test, you run it, and then you surf the internet. You set up, the, yeah, yeah, that's right. That was a lot of what we were doing, um, except we had, we had a couple of different experiments in this one. So this was in there in Columbia's opiates and heroin lab. Oh, great. So, you know, like, when you're telling your friends you work in an opiates lab, are they like, dude, half-baked, go in there and steal something? <laughs> well, pe yeah, people assumed that because I worked in a heroin lab that there was like, that we were like manufacturing heroin for like the government or something, but that wasn't it. Also, I think a lot of people were confused because I said I would say like I work in a heroin lab at Columbia, and they're thinking he works in a Colombian heroin, <laughs> but it wasn't like that. They're like, don't you mean Coke Lab? <laughs> um, we we uh we would do a bunch of different tests, and some of them were pretty interesting. Like, you know those like newspapers you get for free in the subway uh, that have like things in the back that say like are you addicted to heroin? Come on down. We'll give you money. To yeah. yeah. So those were, we would do those and I would like put those in the paper and field all the people participating. And what? 
So like you have heroin addicts just rolling in being like test on me and give me $50 for heroin. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times it's like, depending on the experiment, more money, but yeah, people really want money and uh, the possibility of doing heroin. So people would be coming in all, all the time. And um, one of the experiments, like the big one that I worked on was, um, okay, so they have, uh, you know, oxycodone pills, right? Right. Oxycodone and oxymorphone. They, they have these pills that you, people crush into powder and snort or they melt into a solution and inject. Okay. So we were working on a new configuration or we were testing a new configuration of these pills that was like built more like a Skittle, which means you couldn't crush it into a powder because it's yeah. like goopy and you couldn't melt it into a solution. It was too like chunky. Okay. And so we would, it, it, the only way you could take it was by popping it, swallowing it. And we would invite people in to test that this is actually the case by uh, getting real heroin addicts to come in asking them what they need. And then I would go out to various stores and head shops and wherever and get all of the tools that they had asked for to recreate their home environment. And then I would uh, bring them in, sit them in a room and film Which, them and talk I to mean, them. I mean, that part sounds fun as hell. Yeah, that was, it was not bad. I would go to a lot of head shops and get shit that like, I didn't even know existed. Yeah, like just, you're, you're like, I need a butane torch. Right, uh, and I don't know what else he goes into it. Uh, and then in my head, it's like spoon, and then that yeah. a needle. There's like things in head shops that are like sieves that like they're like sieves, but they like crush too. It's crazy. Yeah. Um. So I would get them all these tools, and then sit them in a room and let them go at, go at the pill while talking to them and filming them, and um, nobody could ever get it into a powder or a solution. But like half of them still said that they would try and snort it or shoot it anyways. And one time a woman with AIDS accidentally pricked herself with her needle and started bleeding and chucked the needle into the air and it zoomed past my head. So that was when I was like, I gotta stop doing that. Yeah, that was your that was your version of me murdering a bunch of rabbits because you'd already done it with the rats. Yours was almost getting HIV. Yeah. I get Which it. Which I didn't want, you know No, you know, it, it was before it was like, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and but I would also have like these um, these people or these uh, these patients like we would keep them on the unit and some of them were there for like weeks at a time during, depending on the experiment and so my job would be to take them out for cigarette breaks take them out into the yard like for <laughs> it was also it was kind of like being a prison guard except nobody's trying to like fuck anybody up because they're all getting paid Right. Like I would take them out into the yard to walk around and have cigarette breaks, and they would tell me their stories. Um, one of the guys commit. Uh, he <laughs> he um, confessed to I think what was a murder, um, unless he was just bragging like and didn't do anything. But he told me about like a guy he stabbed and never got caught for it. Um, and I think it, it was like, isn't that a cool story? And I was like, what? No. <laughs> Okay, it's no good. No, so you're working there, but you're doing comedy at night. Like, what leads to you ultimately getting hired uh, at late night? Because was is that your first comedy job? Yeah, sort of. So I, when I was at actually, when I was at this Columbia job, I was drawing cartoons a lot and posting them on Tumblr, and um, I was also at that time submitting cartoons to the New Yorker. 
which I never got in, but I, I made some headway. I was, I got actually, you know, through the front door and into the weekly submission process. And, um, I actually had reached out like cold. I had sent an email to Pete Holmes, uh, cause I know he had done some New Yorker cartoons and been, and been like, Hey, I'm a big fan of yours. And I know that you did the New Yorker cartoons and I, I I'm trying to do that. And I don't know like what, to do exactly so any advice and he was like really cool he sent me like a really long email of encouragement and like good advice on how to do that afterwards and i remember thinking that was really neat oh that's um, that's awesome um this is very cool i remember do you know zach cannon yeah yeah he, he gets like whenever i see a new yorker i'll just scroll through it to see if he has anything in there and yeah, his he gets, style is so definitive is it like it's so good yeah but if and if there's no zach in there i'm like this one sucks <laughs> I just, I look smart because I'm like, is my friend's cartoon in here? And it's not, and I get <laughs> mad for Zach. All right, so you're submitting, you're drawing, uh, Pete Holmes is telling you how to do it. You're getting all the, you're getting all the advice. So I never actually make it into the New Yorker, but I do get better at drawing cartoons and, and, and my style sort of, uh, you know, improves. And I'm posting a lot on Tumblr and my stuff on Tumblr all is all, stuff drawn on post-it notes and the stuff is uh, gets pretty popular because I, I think it gets like reblogged by some bigger blogs like the daily what which was bigger at the time and and I eventually get a hundred thousand followers on tumblr that's so, like, huge it was I mean, huge and now yeah. it's now it's nothing you know no, no but, I'm, but I'm saying like if if this is your first thing I remember like on vine I got like 10,000 followers on vine when it first started and I was like oh my gosh like this is yeah. They had like 500 followers on like Twitter. And I'm like, this is like a medium I'm decent at. Yeah. And then every, all the Vine people were like, you want to Vine with me and Vine with me? And I was like, no, no, no. And then the snake ate its own tail. <laughs> well, it, I mean, I think one thing about that, that it taught me, and I don't even know if this is true, but this is the lesson I took from it, is that like, there's no rhyme or reason to building a, a presence on social media. No. And it's all like luck and it's not even worth it because eventually that it just goes away. <laughs> well, I mean, it's easy to say it's only worth it once you get a job in the entertainment industry. You're like, now I don't need to work at that anymore, which like. Right. It, it is worth it for, um, to some degree, some people will find it, especially on Twitter or Instagram, people will find, right now, people will find that more useful. But like. I thought at the time Tumblr was super a big deal. It was to you though, you know? What? It was to like you and other people who liked it, so. Yeah, but still I would like have to explain it to anybody who asked. Right, right, okay. <laughs> and uh, so you're, and so. Like I was making these cartoons there and um, somebody I had a class with at UCB ran a production company in Brooklyn called Landline and um, they wanted to like co-create something with me based off of my cartoons and so we made an animated thing um basically like a little sizzle of like jokes based off of like some dinosaurs that i had created like drawings and um we ended up selling it to above average right uh, which is the like digital company of uh lauren michael's company broadway video right which is now, I think, more or less defunct, or at least doesn't make original content like they used to. But uh, that's how well that's how I met Carnell. Is after uh, I got booted from SNL, they hit me up to go to a travel show with Above Average that Mike Carnell was directing, 
And that's the first, we met for the first time in Denmark and we're immediately like, oh, we're like best friends. Really? That's yeah. awesome. It was what, great. Yeah. Cause I knew, cool. I, I knew his wife, Sarah, but was just his girlfriend at the time. And she just had told both of us, like, I think you guys will get along. And that's all it took for us to be like, we're going to get along. Was she at SNL yet? Yeah. yeah, no, I got hired there her third year writing. So she was like crushed. It was like, she was just doing great. You know, um, she was like, scare, uh, not scary to me, but like, you know, definitely a boss who I didn't, you know, who I was t more timid around than I would be to, uh, you know, so she was doing very well at SNL. I was doing very poor. So I looked up to her very much. Okay, cool. Yeah. But that's so, I met Carnell through Above Average, and you and Carnell make funny videos at late night all the time, and he's the best. Yeah, he's the best. And I stay at their house now when I go to, uh, when I stay in New York, because it's amazing. Because they have an amazing house. And, yeah. yeah they have rooms. They have more than one room. <laughs> yeah, they do. Have, it, well, uh, but to be fair, I did bring a girl over, and then Carnell yelled at her for 10 minutes while I cowered in the other room. <laughs> Hey man, that happened. Man. <laughs> and it was, it's my longtime girlfriend. And the next day she was like, what were you doing? And I was like, look, man, it's Carnell's house. He's going to scream. <laughs> it's in the living room on the ground. All right. So you go, you sell it to above average, which it makes cool shit. Yeah. And so we made a six episode. So this was like right where, when above average was kicking off. So we were part of their launch and it was six episodes of this web series and um it it was good like it, it was like really great for me to be able to like learn the ins and outs of making something like that um and like I was drawing it all and I was working with one other person to animate it and um yeah and we put out these six episodes and it did well for above average and I I became very friendly with a bunch of the people up above average because I um Maybe it was around this time. Well, Jen Danielson, who ran above average, she really liked it, and she wanted to pitch it to networks uh, as a half hour. And so I wrote up a treatment, and we started pitching it. And it was like, it was kind of just like, yeah, another thing happened. But uh, what was it called? Waco Valley. Oh, dude, I heard, yeah, I remember, I, don't, I didn't even know you were part of that, but I definitely saw, like, uh, maybe just in the above average offices they have photos of or something. Yeah, they did, yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. Like to see your shit on the wall and like a, in a place like that. Yeah. Uh, and while I was work, I, I think because I was like doing a lot of writing out of their offices, I became good friends with Jen and like a bunch of the staff there and Christina McGinnis. You know, Christina? I'm, yeah, I'm sure I do. I mean, everybody like after I got booted off SNL, I was like, I worked out of there a lot because they, they, they were just so nice and like yeah. gave me workspace. Yeah, same. It was It was really like, a luxury to have space a place to go to do the work it helped me out a lot yeah um, so yeah I mean I pitched like like I we pitched to, to uh we pitched to a bunch of different places and then ultimately sold it to Comedy Central and made a pilot there and um and now it's on its ninth season yeah now and like really I mean I don't know why I'm talking to you because I I'm <laughs> I'm waiting. My pool is heating up. So. <laughs> you should That's be on Pete Holmes' podcast. <laughs> um, so we made the pilot. I'll send you the pilot because I'm still very proud of the pilot. Ooh, yeah, please. Because I'm working on a pilot right now that um, I like Look, I like watching other people's pilots because it either makes me think we're fucked or, well, we, we got this. Yeah. Uh, not that I, I'm sure I would say uh, we got So yeah, you. The thing 
is you never know, right? Like you can make something really good, but it's completely out of your control. No, abs- 1000%. But, well, I did write a, I did sell a show one time and then wrote the pilot and then I reread it and I was like, this is bad. Like this, I was, and that's why I was like, oh, my new one is much better. Uh, unimportant. Uh, so Waco Valley, um, is, are the other ones online? Can people find them? Yeah, the web series is online. I'll yeah. put a link to it in this episode description. So you're doing that. You get to make a full pilot for Comedy Central, which is the fucking dream. Because uh, like, you do the math in your head of like, this is how much I got paid for the pilot. If we do six episodes, I'm going to have, you know, $500,000 and I'm going to be a billionaire. Yeah, I'm starting to think like, oh man, this is, yeah, this is the way. And so actually this, the year that this happened, which was like, 2013, 2014 or so, like all this stuff was coming together. I, everything felt like it was skyrocketing, which was really cool. And like my confidence was going through the roof. And like, yeah, for me it was 2013, 2014 when I got SNL at like 26 and I'd literally never failed at anything. I was like, maybe I'm just a savant genius. Yeah. It turns out, no, I'm not. Yeah, is it? Dude, I wish I could live in that headspace. Yeah, I know, I know. And I think I see a lot of people who are, and I'm like, good for you, like, fucking good for you, I guess. I mean, it's probably going to come crashing down at some point. But, like, maybe if you ride it out for long enough without anything bad happening, it just sets in. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, because I, I totally get it. Like, I was, um, you know, I wasn't a jerk, but I was very dismissive to anything I didn't think was cool. Uh, I was like, no, thanks. No, I said no to a lot of stuff, uh, not thinking, like, Oh, you didn't even, you weren't nice about that. You said no. Uh, And then like, you know, then I come back to LA and I'm like, I'll do that now. Like, like, (laughs) no, like it was lame. I was like, no, uh, actually it's very cool. Uh, I'm just saying like, when I see people now in like that headspace, I'm like, yeah, I used to be the psycho confident kid too. Um, I want that back, though. I, rem- I remember when it all came crashing down because I remember the moment. Okay, okay, okay. Tell me yours. <laughs> so, like, I had, I had, I was, I had already written the pilot for Waco Valley, um, so th- and gotten the green light. Like, they liked it. They were gonna make it. We were gonna make it. I was gonna make it. And um, Seth had hired me based off of this pilot to write for The Awesomes, his Hulu animated show. Which is great. Yeah. And so I had had that job and I was working on that and like, really like, they, like, I was so confident in the first like, um, writer's room retreat that like, I was like, man, this is like, this is my thing. I'm so good. Like, I can do this really well. And I was like, then I had like picked up who, a side who, job. Time out. Who all was on the writers retreat? Because it was probably Seth's crew, right? Like, cause he's like the greatest boss of all time. So he only yeah. surrounded himself with. It was a small group. It was Dan Levy, Dan Mintz, uh, Judd Winnick, and Josh, his brother, and Shoemaker and Seth. So, just a group of really fun, good people. Yeah. Except the way that the room worked was, we spent a weekend at Mohonk Mountain House. Um, just one weekend in conference rooms, um, beating out the uh, the season arc, and then the rest of the writing happened remotely. Right, because uh, they all have twenty three jobs. Yeah, and they're all over. Like one of Judd was in San Francisco. Mintz and Levy were in L.A. 
And also but, Seth, Seth can write an ep- I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm speaking about Turner. I think Seth can write three episodes of television in two hours. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a brilliant writer. Like, yeah, no, he writes. I, mean, I know like, he doesn't even have to. But I mean, like, they, when they write those documentary nows, they are like, yeah, we did that like over the weekend, like with O'Brien on the phone. Like, I'm like, oh my God, it's like the best episode of TV I ever saw and you're doing it on your day off. It's incredible. Yeah. Okay, so I, I don't know how they fucking do those. Like, it's really ridiculous that they yeah. do that. <laughs> so you you were right working for the Awesomes. Everything's happening, and then when is the moment of like, oh? Okay, well, there's another caveat. There's one other thing that I was working on too. Okay. So through Above Average, I managed like through Jen Danielson. Um, she's like, hey, I know like you have like a little time right now. Like you you just finished the pilot, and you're like you're working on. Um, the awesome soon, but like you have time right now. Do you want to work on this? It's hard to explain, but essentially it's what happened was this Japanese billionaire, uh, Masatoshi Son, who owns SoftBank, which is a Japanese telecom company. Uh, he bought Sprint <laughs> and tasked Sprint with making robots that could be fun companions. And they wanted to put them in stores and ultimately the idea is this Japanese billionaire has this 300 year plan. He thinks he's gonna live for 300 years. <laughs> and it involves assimilating robots into human lives. And it starts with putting them in sprint stores. Like he wants to work them into America. And they needed somebody in America to create the American personalities for the robots. And because Jen had previously worked with like the biggest Japanese production companies in Japan, because she was responsible for the SNL franchises, they came to her about who should be the one to do this. And she's like, Ben, do you want to do it? And I was like, what do I need to do? She's like, well, you get to make a lot of money and go to Japan. (laughs) And I was like, yeah. And so I spent like a few months just like, making for the first time in my life, like a shit ton of money and um, creating personality, like funny little things for Japanese robots to say. And yeah. being the voice of a Japanese robot. And I'm sure spending that money as fast as possible. I, I was actually, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty oh, good. I, I spent all of my, when I got to SNL, I mean, it's not like SNL gets a lot of money, but the college gigs you do when you're on it, like, it's, not, it's like $10,000 to go perform and get booed off at the University of Florida. It's totally uh-huh. crazy. And then I'd come back and be like, well, I hadn't planned on making that money, so I should buy only coats with it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I yeah, want to do that. <laughs> it was so dumb. Uh, um, okay. Um, all right. So you know, I, had, I had all this confidence from, like, being the hotshot guy right now and, like, being also, Wine and dine in Japan. Yeah, are you? I was gonna say you're probably flying first class to Japan. Oh yeah, it's insane to fly first class to Japan. It's yeah. unreal. I, I yes, and especially as like an undeserving kid. <laughs> yeah, it's you get your own little pod with the big screen TV, and they're serving you like five course meals. It's insane. Yeah. Um, so I come back. Okay, so this is like the fall of. No, the winter of 2013, I get invited to Seth Meyers' Christmas party at his house, which I think is the last time he ever did something like this. I uh, was there. I, I was at that. I was at that. Were? Yeah, because it was in the East Village. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or the village. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It was, but either way, yeah. Well, let's get the exact address. 
Okay, we'll look it up. Uh, I know. <laughs> um, it's uh, so at this point, I've already been hired to um, write for late night. So I'm thinking, like, you know what? Sure, I'll write for late night until I have to make my TV show, and like, I'll do that for the time being. Like, <laughs> and um, I'm like, I go to this party, and I met the first time ever, like, a party with like a shit ton of celebrities. And I walk in and I'm thinking like, look at all these people who think they're such hot shit. I'm hot shit. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm like, sure we were both, well, you know what? I'd been, I'd failed really bad the first half. I remember I had to get really drunk at Beck's before we went to the party because I was so freaked out by anything SNL. So you were probably seeing me cowering in a corner hammered. <laughs> I, I went into that party absolutely prepared for it and i want to be i would i know that it's arrogance but i want some of that back because i'm typically not i don't think a very arrogant person at least i'm more fearful than i am arrogant right no i'm sure you weren't arrogant you were just like these guys don't know i just flew first class to japan and i'm part of a billionaire's 300 year plan it was it was more than that it's actually probably not entirely arrogance because it came from a place of like knowing who i am and yeah. just looking around at all these people who were successful and being like, they might not know who I am, but I I know who I am. Right. And they're I'm not gonna like let them talk differently to me because they don't know who I am. So I just walked into conversations with that in my head and I was floating. Like I was talking to people that like I never would have had the courage to, and it was all going fine because I knew that right. I was that guy. Uh -huh. And so, like, everything was going so cool. I was talking to fucking, like, Jake Gyllenhaal and, like, I don't know. There was, like, all the, you know, like, Tina was there and Amy were there. Like, Meanwhile, in my head, I'm like, everyone at this party can fire me tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, okay. pretty true. Well, I mean, but you, you know this mind frame I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, I had that when I, the first couple weeks asked it out. Okay. So, okay. I, I'm coasting through this party and I'm about to stick the landing when I'm just about to leave and um, I'm saying goodbye to Shoemaker. And who, right who, uh, who also, just a shout out to Shoemaker, is the, is, if Seth is a good boss, Shoemaker is the greatest, is like the most amazing of the, of it. he's the fucking coolest guy of all time. I, if, I, if, I, if, if I could have a locket that had his face in it, I would have it. But Dude, it, the worst like, part was when I, when I got to SNL, they were like, oh, you missed by like two years the nice guy who worked here. Oh. He was like, oh, the that's He's my favorite. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so he rules. He's the uh, co-creator, executive producer of Late Night with Seth Meyers, long time at SNL, the fucking man. So he's, I'm saying goodbye to him. I'm about to leave, and he says, "Oh, wait, before you leave, I want to introduce you to somebody, um, Adam." And he pulls over Adam Scott, and he's like, "Adam, this is Ben. Ben um, works on." the awesomes for us and he's about to work on late night when we start in the new year and adam scott who i'm like you know i love but i'm like still feeling the same way i'm feeling like oh i'm on the shit adam scott goes oh how do you like working on the awesomes and i say uh what i think is facetiously i say oh it sucks and it doesn't land oh no. and it's the deadest silence ever and I immediately feel like every ounce of confidence I have pour out like out of my feet and it just disappears. 
And then Shoemaker sort of like, like paternally like puts his hand on my shoulder and says like, no, it, it doesn't suck, right? <laughs> and I was like, no, no, it's great. I don't know. I don't know why I said that. Um, and he goes, okay. And I was like, okay. And he's like, well, have a good night, Ben. And like, I don't know if it was that the joke just wasn't like the right recipients or that like that the cockiness just went away. Right. And I walked out of the door that, the next second and I just felt like, you know how when you do coke and, and, you, and it wears off and you're no. like, I've never been no. more sober. Never. <laughs> never been more sober in my life. Yeah. Yeah, me neither, man. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know what that feeling is. But this was what I imagined that feeling is. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, so, what so happened? You, okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> it was just like, all of the sudden, I was as sober as I'd ever been and as self-conscious as I'd ever been. And that feeling just stuck <laughs> for like the next couple of months. Oof. Well, and then, so then your shows didn't, so then Waco Valley didn't get picked up and... Well, then I was working on it for a little while. So that, then I went on to like make it. It wasn't that like, it wasn't that like it completely, it was that, the problem was I went into my job thinking that Shoemaker didn't like me anymore. Oh shit, I see what yeah. you mean, which he did. No, he did. But like, I thought that I had looked like a cocky piece of shit and then maybe he would like, was second guessing himself for hiring. Right, right, I understand that. I uh, think I also did just something else that was like super cocky, which was like, I brought a Christmas card to Seth and I filled it with a bunch of like singles. I almost, dude, I almost did the same thing with Lauren for Christmas. Everybody gets him a present. And I would have done it if I had the confidence that you had at that point earlier in the year. But I, he had taken that, I had given him my confidence by that time. Because I was like, I'm going to get Lauren a $5 Amazon gift card and write, thanks, L-Dog. Uh, and go just and go give it to him like with a big presentation like look I know you don't need anything but I thought this couldn't hurt and uh, I totally talked myself out of it and I'm totally good because I bet so many people have done that to him yeah no I sure I'm sure everyone's done every bit to him ever but it just would have been a very unconfident way to do it hey, hey man you this is funny um, uh, okay so you work at, the, bottom line, you work at Seth. You've been working there for the last like six, seven years. You write really fun shit there. Uh, it's a great job. I'm sure it's the best job ever. Yeah, it's a really great job. Yeah. I love uh, but then let's move out of here. We got to talk about sticking the landing. I got to hear about Joker. Oh, okay. For sure. Okay. I'll, I'll fast forward to Joker. So, um... I mean, you know, I love acting. Like, I love performing. I've always loved performing. Um, you know, I guess things come and go in my life in, in terms of cycles. Like, I was in, I did improv in college, but I didn't do any theater at all. And, like, I, I did a lot of theater as a kid. And then I got into, you know, making those videos for myself. But, like, things, things would come and go. So I didn't do theater in college. I didn't do any theater post-college. I was just doing more improv. But I've always loved performing. And I think it's my first love. My, my bar mitzvah theme was Ben Takes Broadway. And um, 
you know, that was something that I was embarrassed about for many years after. Wait, wait, <laughs> what? Ben takes Broadway? Ben takes Broadway. Like, all of the, the theme was Broadway themed. Like, everybody sat at a table that had, like, um, the theme of a different show. And, like, oh, you're at the Pippin table. You're at the My Fair Lady table. Like, isn't, it, isn't your bar mitzvah when you're 13? Yeah. So that, like, will stick with some friends. Yeah, for sure. But I was like, you got to understand, like, okay, from when I was in elementary school, I went to a small Jewish day school that was, my class was only 12 kids. But you're telling me not two of them were like, when you were 16, like, remember when you did that Broadway thing? For sure. No, I mean, a lot of them, like, decided they weren't, like, going to be a part of my set when when middle school started. Not a lot of them, but like, you know, I went into middle school. I went in, when I went into middle school the next year, I went into a public school and I was completely out of my element because like, I was a, I was a little like, you know, I was a fey little kid. I was like. Yeah, you had, you had just done uh, Ben Takes Broadway. I mean, that is no, like. I, I did Ben Takes Broadway after a after my first year in middle school. Oh my God, you didn't learn? <laughs> no, I didn't learn. Okay. I, and I was like. I was like really into singing and theater and I liked to skip. I thought skipping was just like a fast way to get around and I didn't understand why more people wouldn't do it. Um, I, yeah, I had my own, you know, ways of doing things. And I wasn't like, I was so like into myself. I was like, whatever, if I think it's cool, then it's cool. And I think I got that confidence from my like small, you know, set of classmates growing up. Cause like, I. I was the funny kid in that very small pool. Right. And um, yeah, so I always loved performing. And, you know, I've, I just hadn't really gotten into doing more acting stuff until like, you know, maybe the last six years or stuff outside of like improv and sketch. Uh, But I love it. And, um, you know, I take my auditions really seriously. I work on them a lot of times with a coach, but I'll work on them for hours at a time. And I, I really like getting into them. See, what's, I, the, I just started doing that because my other, my old method was, um, I'll remember it when I need to. <laughs> like, Oh, no. Like, I'm so terrible at memorizing. No, like, I, I'm, I am too, but I'm like, we'll get it when we get there. Like, and it never, we, it never works that way. You don't do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. Well, so anyway, so I've only really started like booking stuff for real, like legitimate stuff in the past couple of years. Um, the thing with Joker was I had auditioned a few years ago for Ocean's 8, an audition that I didn't even really remember because I didn't get it. But um, the same casting director, Shana Markowitz, uh, had called me into audition for Joker. And um, she, I guess, had remembered me from Ocean's 8 and, and wanted, thought maybe I'd be good for that part. So God bless casting directors for remembering anybody. Yeah, no shit. I can't remember anyone, and my job is not to meet 80 people a day. <laughs> so I, get, I really appreciate when you, that. When you get this audition, is it like, do you have to sign an NDA? Is it even called Joker? No, they called it, like, the working title of the project was Romeo. Um, okay, so you go in, and I'm sure you don't have the real sides. It's just like play an asshole. 
No, we had mostly the real sides. Okay, cool. Um, and so, like, you know, the first audition, I went in. We were auditioning basically for all three of those parts. So I, you just learn all of them. Okay. And I brought in, like, a, a bag of corn chips to, instead of french fries. Um, and and uh, I was just feeling it, man. Like, I, I felt like I did a good job with that. Sometimes you go into an audition and you just leave and you're like, I don't care if I get it or not because I fucking, like, I did that as best as I could. Brian Cranston has a really good quote about what the actor's job is. And he says, um, your job at, in the audition is not to get the part. It's to prepare and do the best you can. Give you know, to give your performance. Your performance is the audition. When you walk out of that room, you have no control over what they are looking for, what they want. Your job is over. You don't need to think about it as long as you go in there and give your performance. The audition is your performance. I, yeah, I think I only got good at auditioning the last like year because I started realizing like I would get nervous for the auditions and then I a flip switch where I'm like, no, I'm working on these. That's my one time to do it. It's like, that is my, that's the fun part. That's the one fun moment I get to have that's not work. And who cares after that? You're performing it for the, for the casting people. Like. Yeah. And it's like fun. Now I like to have fun with it and goof around. But okay. So you go in, you do the audition. Yeah. And uh, it goes pretty well. And I get a callback. And the callback is with Todd Phillips and Shayna. And I'm in a room with like a bunch of, other dudes like and i guess they're just sort of like mixing and matching seeing what like who they want for what part and um i remember that the audition with todd was like less like i think we did the lines like once but most of this time being in there it was just him asking us questions about our lives and just like todd just wanting to know like who we are as people Maybe that was like his way of just like sensing how we talk and behave and move naturally. But like, he just wanted to know about who we were. And I thought that was really interesting. And then I got the part and uh, I was, uh, you know, elated. I was, I was ecstatic to get that part, but it didn't really like, it didn't mean, like it was cool to be cast in a movie, but it didn't really like make sense until the movie came out. Yeah, and it was such like, a big fucking movie. Yeah. And, um... Like, Literally, isn't it the biggest R-rated movie of all time? Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, in, uh, that's insane. Yeah, it's it's nuts. I, I mean, I still don't have, like, a good... It still doesn't, like... I still don't know how to, like, conceive of it. Because it's, right. like, yeah. it's I mean, even, like, that big of a deal. <laughs> right, because, I mean, you're in this biggest R-rated movie of all time in, like, a scene, but it's, like, a pivotal scene. How many days did you even shoot on it? Three. Three. That's just it. That's what's so nuts. And I'm sure it was only, you're only working for like, you know, five hours max each day. So you're like that, you know, and then it's, I'm sure 18 months ago and then the movie comes out and you're like, I forgot I even fucking did this almost. I mean, the working on that movie was a very, uh, very educational and good experience for me. I felt Ooh, like I was okay. getting like. I, I almost, I never really care about people's like actual things they do. This podcast supposed to be about that but i don't give a fuck what what was joaquin phoenix like what what happened there so joaquin phoenix was like fully in this mesh of character and actor the entire time we were shooting so like i mean he'd show up on set he's in full wardrobe and makeup and and he's arthur like he's the character even in between takes like he's embodying it 
And I don't know if you call, what you call that, like, I'm, I think, you know, I don't know that that's method. I think it's just like, I think his process is his own process, but um, he was like enmeshed. Like he was, when, when questions arise, like acting questions, directing questions, when we had to like watch playback, he was still talking and behaving as if partly from his character standpoint. Like I remember there was, we had to do this, we had to learn the choreography of the fight scene with George Aguilar, who is the fight, the stunt coordinator. And he's like, you know, this old school, been working on everything, like worked with, worked in Scorsese, did like The Departed. He's worked on like so many fucking mob, like big time stunt movies, like for fight scenes. And we work out the choreography with Joaquin's stunt double. And we know where we're going to be at what points, where we start throwing him to the ground, where we're kicking him, where his gun is, where he pulls it out from, how we fall. And then when Joaquin gets on set, we're actually doing it with him. That all goes to shit because Joaquin is just living it. He's fighting against us. He's like pushing against us. He's just really in it. And so the things that we had practiced don't necessarily go as they're, you know, intended. So the gun is not where we thought it was. It's like in his right pocket, but we thought it was gonna be in the bag. And at one point I'm like confused and I'm like, I'm sorry, Todd, where's the gun supposed to be um, at the end of, at this point in the fight? And Joaquin goes, I don't see why everybody needs to know where the fucking gun is. And he storms off. And I'm like, oh my God. And Todd looks at me and goes, eh, don't worry about that. And I'm like, uh, okay. And then like five minutes later, Joaquin returns and he's like totally fine. And it was not personal. It was just like, he's embodying this guy and um, fully feeling his feelings. And like his character didn't want anyone to know where his gun was. You should have sat him down and told him that's not how acting works. It's just <laughs> pretend. Well, look, so I, you hear stories like this about people who are like really intense in their character roles. And I think a lot of people have a negative impression of people who do that kind of stuff, like method acting and think like, oh yeah, they're so intense, great. Like make the lives hell for all the other actors. That's really cool to do on a job. It's like, people don't understand. This was awesome. It was, it was like, if you can dissociate your own self from like, he's not, this isn't personal to you. He's not yelling at you. He's just, trying to get into character and stay in character. Yeah, he did a pretty good job. He, he won, really he won, <laughs> he won a big award. He got a gold ribbon. <laughs> and the more I was around him, the more I was able to absorb it. And I felt like I was learning what he was doing. And, and I felt myself like, honestly, there was this one moment. I, he, so we had a little break because he was doing a, just a short, wordless scene where he walks onto the train sits down and is contemplating this what just happened before where he uh you know uh brought the gun into the school and got fired right uh, into, the, into the hospital and got fired and he just comes walks in sits down on the train looks across the aisle at somebody thinks oh maybe they're looking at me oh no they're not and then sort of like then the next scene is I walk onto the train. This, this all happens in like 10 seconds in the movie. And so he does three takes of this 
and I'm watching from next to the director's monitor. I'm just like right off the set watching this happen on the monitor. And he does these three takes of this wordless scene where he just comes, sits down, and, and we're just like close up on his face. And I swear to God, like I've never seen more powerful performance. I couldn't fucking believe what I was looking at. Each of these three takes was so specific and unique and individual and different, like giving different performance for each. And you could just see different thoughts going on behind his eyes, but he wasn't even moving. It was just there somehow. And I don't know how to explain what that means, but he was doing almost nothing, but you could feel the thoughts and the sadness and, and, and each of them was different. That's and, and I wanted to like grab the script person and just like shake her. She was the only person like near me, but like, I was like, I have to keep my fucking cool here. It was unbelievable. And so like, I watched this and then we had about 10 more minutes before I was back on set. And I just spent those 10 minutes just trying to like hold, like internalize what I saw. Cause it didn't have any, there, there was nothing I could describe. It was just a feeling. And I felt like I, I picked it up. I like, whatever he was doing, I felt like I got to watch it and I got to internalize it. And I spent 10 minutes just like holding that in. And then we went back on set and we did my scene. And I felt like I was firing on all cylinders. Yeah. And, and, uh, and like, we got to a point where we actually did, we, we threw out the script at one point and just did the entire scene all the way through, improvised in a new way because, I mean, that's a whole other story. Like he, he gave, Joaquin gave this like impassioned speech about how it shouldn't be this way, it should be this way because this, that, and the other. And everybody was like mesmerized and totally into it. And Todd's like, fuck it, let's go. And we improvised our way through it. And when I was doing that, I was like, I feel it. I'm, I'm in it. And like, I know, I know I'm comfortable improvising, but like, that's where the part, like things that weren't in the script came out in that improv, like me stealing his um, wig and putting it on and laughing in his face and grabbing him. Like that whole beginning of that sequence where we go over to him was not in the script, but like they wanted me to, they wanted to keep it in, like me laughing at him, like, because I was just feeling it. I was feeling myself. And the more it was being positively reinforced by Joaquin and Todd, the more I was like, okay, I know what I'm doing. So by day three of shooting, I was just basically like, I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm taking my cues from Joaquin. He's in character. I'm remaining in character. And I'm getting a lot out of it because I really felt like I knew my character inside and out. And that's what I think is like, you know, even if you have a small part, a small character, this is like, the thing that I love about the job is that you get to create the backstory. I felt like I knew who I was because I had spent so much time thinking about it and like internalizing it. And it makes it so that all the little things you do resonate because like there's specificity. In any case, by day three, I was uh, fully like remaining in character and I had stopped like doing chit chat in between takes like I had. <laughs> impossible that's that's wow that's a big step no more chit chat well yeah i mean like what had been the case is like when we would stop filming me and the other wall street guys would just like you know shoot the shit and talk and they were really nice guys i liked them a lot and um and then uh but joaquin would sort of like go away and brood and and like remain in character and so i started 
remaining in my character, which didn't mean like not talking to anybody, but it meant like, okay, who am I? Where am I coming from? What was my night out? Where am I going to? Uh, I'm on my way home. Like we were just out in the East Village. I'm heading to the Upper West Side. I'm a little stoned. I'm a little drunk. And I'm a, I got a little bit of a mean streak because I was dancing with this girl and she kind of rejected me. And, and all this shit is going through my head, but I'm like still, like I had it built up and I was trying to maintain it in between takes. And it was really, really working for me. And, um, and I could feel like, you know, they were appreciating what I was doing. Like they were saying so. And okay, so finally after everything is done, at the end of day three, they say that's a wrap on the Wall Street guys. That's a wrap on Ben, Mike and Carl. And for the first time in, in all of it, Joaquin drops his uh, Arthur and <laughs> his, his like posture changes. And he shakes Mike's hand, he shakes Carl's hand and he goes over to me, he goes, really good job. And he shakes my hand and I'm like, thank you. And then he puts his arm around me and he goes, no, he like puts his like hand on my shoulder. He goes, I have to ask you something though. Um, and he whispers like to me, he goes, are you, are you actually drunk right now? And I said, oh, no, no, no. I, I thought he was joking. He goes, no, no, no. You can tell me. I just need to know if you're drunk right now. Whoa. And I'm like, no, no, I swear, like, I'm, I'm not. He goes, listen, it's okay. You just have to tell me because some of the guys in the crew said that they saw you like off to the side of the set. You set, you were like kind of stumbling. You were like mumbling. I said, because oh, it's the first day you stayed in character. I was like, I promise I'm not. I was just trying to remain in character. And and he goes, okay. And then he goes, I'm fucking with you. And then he puts <laughs> his arm around me and he walks me off set. And at this point, like, we're walking off the train car and he's got me under his arm. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And he goes, so, so this was pretty great, right? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, is this what you want to be doing? And I'm like, uh, making movies? Yes, this is like the coolest thing I've ever done. He goes, no, is this what you want to be doing? I said, well, yeah, I mean, I love acting. Right now I write for a, like for Seth's show, for Late Night with Seth Meyers. He goes, no, 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 Todd told me about that. Is this what you want to be doing? I said, yes. He goes, good, this is what you should be doing. Wow, cool. And I was like, and I, and I really didn't have anything to say. You should have just said, okay, can I be in your next movies? Yeah, I didn't like, I didn't, I didn't know what the fuck to say. Cause I was like, I'm no joking, of course I would have no idea what to say. And I was like, you, uh, like, you don't know how much that means to me. Like you're like one of my favorite actors. Like I started just sort of like turning into a puddle. And yeah, like, you're like, I wish you were here was amazing. <laughs> I was like, and he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, once I start just sort of rambling, he's like, I know, I know. And then <laughs> he, he walks away. And um, that's how I ended that, that shoot. Right. And, like, I, like, it was the most surreal thing that had ever happened. But ever since then, I'm like, you know, you get, you get self-conscious a lot in this industry, like, in, in acting and writing. And... Sometimes I think like I'm a piece of shit and I can't do anything right. 
but I can always sort of like return back to that and be like, but he did say that I should be doing this. Yeah, no, that's true. Like, it's like those small, like, you just got to be, because, you know, 90% rejection, you got to be like, but that one guy said great job who I like one time. Yeah, yeah. that's like, incredible. I won an Oscar for the part that, that uh, I acted with him and told me I should be doing this. That's <laughs> incredible. Yes. And also, you know, you in your, in your side gig uh, is writing for the best late night show on television and being funny on it. So it's not a bad uh, thing to do in the meantime. Not, not remotely. I love uh, being on yeah, the show. Um, you guys, are, you probably have to get back to work here remotely, right? Um, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay, well, I'll, I'll let you go. This was like super fun. Uh, tell the, tell Shu and Seth, I said, what's up if you, uh, well, or, or don't, it doesn't matter. Um, but uh, mostly talk to Carnell. Say what's up to Carnell for me. I will. Uh, uh, but I know that you're a huge listener, Ben. Um, so, I, well, I'll, well, hold on. Anything you want to plug before we take off? Uh, do I want to plug anything? I'll put in this episode description the uh, uh, one where the sketch where you said it was you hosted Tonight Show with Seth Meyers. Okay. And then I'll also put a link to uh, uh, Waco Valley so okay. people can check those out. And uh, I guess just my my Instagram and Twitter, which is Ben Warheit. Yeah, I'll put a link to those too. Uh, okay, cool. And then also, a, I'll put a link to Free Joker, and you have, have all the rights to that. Ben, that's fine, right? That's right, yeah. So the main actor from Joker gave you, the listener, all the rights to do whatever you want with the uh, 2019 motion picture Joker. Right. All right, good. Now that we got all those plugs out of the way, Ben, I know you're a huge listener, uh, so you know I always let the guest take us out. So take us out. All right, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> <Wait, what? laughs>